and welcome to the Thinking Not Podcast. I'm Cap, and I'm joined in the studio by my good friend, Charles. And it is so good to actually see you again in person, Charlie. You're back from a trip. I'm back from a trip. We're here locked in this tiny room above a garage waiting for a pair of overweight schnauzers to begin their barking. So it feels like old times. Sure does. How are you feeling? (laughs) Excellent. Thank you very much. Good. So I, um, for the listening audience, I just want you to know that I am dressed in my Wimbledon whites today. And for your sake in the audience, I will tell you that the Wimbledon tennis tournament has started. And at Wimbledon, white attire is the only thing that's allowed on the court. And so for years, when Charlie and I would play tennis, every summer when Wimbledon rolled around, I would pick one of our tennis days and I would dress in all white. Just for tradition's sake, I thought that I would try and put a smile on Charlie's face today by doing that. So, Oh, he did. (laughs) He is complete with the Nike headband. I've got the the headband on. I am rocking the entire um, outfit. So hopefully... Uh, If you hear Charlie laugh in the middle of a very serious answer, it's only because he looks up at me and sees me sitting in a headband (laughs) across from him. So I'm feeling happy today. I'm happy that you're here, Charlie. I'm happy for my trip, which I'll share some details about shortly. Happy for my friends. Yeah, happy for my friends and family. I'm even happy for the universe, which seems to have conspired to bring happiness my way. And even though I don't, as you know, I don't believe in universes conspiring for the benefit of humans as if we're more important than those little green men on another planet in the distant galaxy. But I'm not even sure you believe in happiness. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely believe in happiness. Right. I do not represent that remark. So anyway, if you haven't guessed yet, our topic today is going to be happiness. What is it? How do we get it? Why do so many of us chase it like it's another competition to be won or a medal to pin on our coat? Charlie, are you ready for the pursuit of happiness today? I'm ready for the investigation, but not the pursuit. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, even though a majority of our Supreme Court seems to agree that happiness is a warm gun, don't worry. Be happy. Let's just grab a cup of coffee and chat. The Thinking Knot is a podcast developed to help those who are trying to become better, a little bit better today than yesterday. It is an honest dialogue about the real-life challenges we each encounter as intention meets obstacle in the course of an every day. In our conversation, we weigh rational thought against our gut feeling of what is right, and we forge a path together using what is in our hearts, if we can all just awaken and get into rhythm with that beat. Thanks for joining today's discussion. So, Charlie, two pieces of ketchup, not ketchup, but catch up to do before we get to the main topic today. First, a little bit of good news on the gun violence front. And 
Good news is relative when compared to 30 years of no news on this front at all. So U.S. Congress finally passed a bipartisan bill to address some of the elements of the school shootings that we've talked about on this podcast in past weeks. It is the first gun control action from Congress in nearly three decades. And For those that uh, have not been keeping score, the U.S. House of Representatives passed the bill 234 to 193 on June 24th, Friday, and that was after the Senate on Thursday passed it 65 votes to 33 votes. So I thought we'd take a minute and talk a little bit about what's in the bill. So the bill provides $750 million over five years to help fund crisis intervention programs that provide mental health alternatives to not some, some nonviolent offenders. Uh, states can also get funding to implement their red flag laws, and uh, that's for the states that happen to have them. What this bill did not do is it did not create a federal law for red flag. And essentially what red flags laws do is they allow the courts to temporarily remove access to firearms for people that are deemed to be a danger to themselves or to others. So that's good. It didn't go as far as we need it to go, but it is at least a step in the right direction. Um, For gun buyers under 21 years old, the new bill improves background checks Uh, so that if the buyer has a juvenile record that would disqualify them from from buying a gun, uh, that can now be checked as part of the gun purchasing process. So money has been given to upgrade the criminal mental health records to um, scan for those juvenile background checks. Uh, One thing that I was really happy to see is that the new law closes the dating loophole. So currently, if people are married or have had a child together and there's a restraining restraining order or an incident of domestic violence in those relationships, then they can't buy a gun. But what it didn't provide for before was the same thing for people who were dating. Mm -hmm. And so now it covers those situations where people have dated in the past or are currently dating. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, also addressed straw purchases, which is when someone buys a gun for someone else and lies to the gun dealer or seller that the gun's for them. And so they increased the penalties associated with that. Uh, they increased funding for mental health and school safety. So one of the bill's co-sponsors, Chris Murphy, Senator Chris Murphy, said that uh, it includes $11 billion for mental health, $2 billion in funding for school safety initiatives and anti-violence programs. So what it didn't do, Charlie, is it didn't include the federal red flag law. It didn't raise the age to buy a gun to 21. Uh, It didn't do anything to restrict the open carry of guns in public, but it's a step in the right direction. It's something. So I'm going to feel positive that Republicans and Democrats came together to get something done that will help the problem. But I would just remind listeners that now is not the time to rest. There is still more work to be done. As always. Um, And then the second thing, before we get into our topic today, the second thing I wanted to share is a story about a story. Mm 
So one of the things that I have enjoyed in my retirement is the creative process of writing stories, not fiction, but personal stories to be told out loud, Uh, stories that have a message that may share a little nugget of wisdom from my life. So I once asked you, Charlie, if you believed in signs Mm -hmm. and you told me, they don't believe in me, so why would I believe in them? Which actually is pretty close to my take on signs as well. I don't know that I've ever been a big believer in, in signs, but I've had a interesting experience recently that I wanted to share with, with the audience. I know I've already shared it with you, Charlie. But awesome. So since I retired, I've written these stories, and I've taken a storytelling course, and I've been encouraged by other storytellers to share my work. And there's a very well-known storytelling organization called The Moth. They have a podcast and they also do these events all over the country uh, that they call story slams, where people get up and tell their story to a crowd of people. And I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for them to have one that was close enough to me that I could go to and see this all in work. So fast forward to the end of April, beginning of May, And I had just written, literally just written a story about a trip that my wife and I took to celebrate her 40th birthday years ago. Um, And I recorded it for a different podcast that I do. But two days after that, I get an email from the moth saying that they're coming to this area. It's about four hours away, but, you know, it's close enough. So they're coming to the area. And and I think, okay, maybe I'll go and watch this event. And then I keep reading and I see that the theme for the stories for this event, because they always have one theme that you're supposed to write a story around. And the theme for this event is birthdays. I think, wow, I just wrote a story about birthdays. That's, that's what a coincidence, right? So um, then I happen to actually look at when it was taking place. And the day of this particular event was a day late in June that was my birthday. Actually, it was taking place on my 60th birthday. So with all of that serendipity kind of coming together, it seemed to be pointing me rather emphatically towards this event. So is by no means a shoe-in, even at that point, but I decided I wanted to try to participate rather than just watch in in this event. And all of the story slams are held in decent-sized auditoriums. And what they do is they put, you fill out a form to say that you want to potentially tell a story, and they put all the names in a bag, and they will draw out 10 names throughout the course of the night to come out and tell your story. So, you know, it was still a crapshoot whether I'd even get a chance to tell the story or not, but decided to give it a go. We booked a hotel. I edited and edited my story to get it down under the five-minute limit. And throughout this process, family and friends helped me. They let me practice in front of them. They encouraged me. I even had, you know, one set of neighbors that our boys have grown up together. They listened to my story, gave me just incredible feedback. I mean, the time they spent and invested in helping me to perfect 
this story, make sure it had a thread going through it and that it made sense and was clear, uh, was just incredible. And then they made plans to drive those four hours and be there at the event to to support me. So I went to this event last week and the venue was packed with people. Um, The odds against me based on the number of entries in the bag were pretty high. But on the fifth dip into the bag, the MC pulled my name out and I went up on stage and I told my story at a moth story slam. And it was judged by a jury of my peers and I was blown away by the response. Um, You know, it wasn't the best story that night. There were stories that were scored lower than mine that I actually thought were a lot better than mine. But uh, it was well received and, you know, kind of a funny story. Um, The next night after the story slam, Kim and I were having dinner in a little French restaurant. And as we got up to leave, a couple at the bar said, hey, we really liked your story. So I got to feel like a celebrity for about 10 seconds. But so that was kind of fun. But did you run over and offer your autograph? I I did not. I did not. (laughs) So. I may not believe in signs, but I'm convinced that they do indeed believe in me. Um, (laughs) But even more importantly, I have a circle of people who, for some reason that I cannot discern, also believe in me. So for my family, for my friends, for you, Charlie, who encouraged me, for our mutual friend, Jaron, I have been so deeply humbled by the outpouring of support and love. So thank you to everyone who helped me achieve a step towards goodness for allowing me to to remove a mask that I've been wearing for many years and take a step uh, in the direction of my true self and not making me regret it for a single second. So I love you all. You're the only sign that I need to believe that the universe is a place of goodness. And then, Charlie, I just want to share one other thing to you, and I'm going to to try to do this without um, my voice quivering. You, uh, at one point in our podcast, you talked about Mother's Day and the sometimes artificiality of buying a card and giving it to somebody with a trite commentary. But I want to tell you for a second about Um, one of my sisters, my sister Debbie, is a creative soul. And she's going to hate me for calling her Debbie because she wants to be called Deb. So sorry, sorry, Debbie. Uh, I always, I will always have a hard time with that. But anyway, so Deb is a creative soul. And one of the things that she does for people is she makes her own cards to give them. And This is a card that she crafted for me, and it says at the top, full of wonder. And you open it up, and on the the flaps in here, one side says, live your story. The other has a little placard that says, to make living itself an art, that is the goal. And you open it up further, and... One pocket says, collect beautiful moments, and you pull out this little thing, uh, insert that says, happy 60th birthday. And then you have uh, another little piece over another panel 
you know, you open it up to four panels and uh, the third panel says every creative act, no matter how small, is a triumph over death and despair. And then the final pocket says, if not now, then when? And then there is a part that opens um, in one of these panels. And I practiced my story on Deb and she gave me some feedback and I recorded it at some point and sent it to her so she could listen to it and give me some feedback. And she typed up that whole story and she put it in here for me and then has put in here, now go live your next story and has blank pages afterwards. <laughs> so I just, you know, I am just completely blown away by people and their support for this little activity of mine, but it makes me feel very special and very humbled that all of you people care enough to provide that support and let me be me for a little bit. So thanks. How about for the rest of your life? Because <laughs> we love you. Well, thank you. Mm. All right, enough of all that. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and get into our topic. We're talking about happiness today. Go figure. I wonder why I would pick that topic today. Charlie, I've learned enough from our conversations to know to start with a definition to make sure that we're speaking the same language. So I'm just going to ask you before we even get into this, how do you define happiness? For me, happiness is not a goal. It is a byproduct of being true to myself. So when I am honestly... Uh, in touch with what I really feel and what I'm really thinking and how I'm really acting. I'm happiest when I'm learning, when I'm growing, when I'm engaged in life in a caring and loving way. When I engage, I don't know if it's going to work out one way or another. I have no goal in mind. I just know that I'm going to engage and try to care and listen and do what I do. And whatever happens, I'm really happy because I'm trying my best. So happiness is not what I'm trying to do. It's what happens when I'm trying to be true to me. I'm happy when I'm doing that. So happiness then is, by that definition, is not based on external forces. It's not based on what someone else is doing to you or not doing to you. It's based on you living the way that feels right to you. Right. I mean, whatever you just did or said or whatever we just exchanged, I have the choice on how I want to process that or respond to it. If I do it in a way that is dishonest to me, like I said, oh, I like that, and I really didn't, or I don't like that, but I kind of really did, I'm creating confusion. In that confusion, we both, my relationship and your relationship with me, suffers. Mm -hmm. So it's the onus is on me to be clear 
and honest when I speak and to speak kindly. Like when I say kindly, respectfully and appreciatively, but clearly. Like if I clearly disagree with you, I can do so with a chuckle. Like I just don't agree with you. Is that okay? Because it's got to be okay. If you're not trying to control me and I'm not trying to control you and we're just trying to talk, if we disagree, we both can go, hmm, and leave it at that. I don't need to tell you you need to do what I'm doing and you don't need to tell me I need to do what you're doing. I have a choice. You have a choice. When I attempt to take away a choice, I'm no longer loving you. Because the essence of love is freedom. And the essence of freedom is free will, which is choice. So I'm sometimes... I play devil's advocate mm-hmm. and push things to the extreme just to hone in on what you're saying because I think it's so important what you're saying. But I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. So if somebody's nature is to control someone else, then their happiness comes from doing that. Their happiness is, uh, is programmed. That's not what's really making them happy. When, when somebody is really trying to control me, they basically are insecure about what they're doing. But if they can get me to do what they're doing or agree with what they're doing, they'll feel better about themselves because they've got somebody else who will co-sign whatever it is they're doing. But the person who is confident in the sense that they're being true to themselves, they don't have to go and convince anybody of anything. They just be themselves. This is how I feel. This is how I see it. This is what I think. And if I'm willing to discuss it openly... And then even what I think should be held openly because I, I may have been programmed or I've thought something incorrectly for a very long time. And I've discovered that that was part of my upbringing, that I was misled, maybe with best intentions, who knows. But I was misled on certain very fundamental things like competition and comparing and what's important. Uh, set up to fail, set up for frustration, set up to be at odds with myself and uh, having to process all of that uh, at the speed of contemporary life, uh, modern life, as we call it. It's always modern. It's like we're the most modern we've ever been and we will continue to be that forever because we're always just in the new, in the now. Here we are. Oh, snap. And, uh, and I'm trying to keep up with all that while trying to figure all this out, too. So my, uh, my happiness, when I say it involves my growth, is because if I am doing the same thing over and over and over again, and I know it's not making me happy, and how do I know? Because every time I beat you at something, I still feel bad. I don't feel good. I mean, maybe I feel good in the moment. But then I'm thinking, who else can I beat? Or what else do I have to fight? Or what else? Because 
if I'm a fighter, I'm just looking for something to fight. Or if I'm a beater or a comparer or a competitor, I'm looking for something to compare and compete against. But if I break that cycle, which is almost like a trance, if I break that cycle, who am I if I'm not competing against you? If I'm not comparing my life on the inside with your life as it looks like on the outside, I get out of judgment. Mm -hmm. And that's the key to my happiness when I get out of judgment. So I, I think I completely buy into that. I think your definition is a good definition. I'm going to continue to, to push the envelope and play devil's advocate a little bit because yeah, yeah. I have known some people who love to get one over on someone else. Mm -hmm. You know, whether that's in the stock market or, you know, whatever. I've known people who love to get one over on someone else and they seem truly happy when they're able to do that, right. are you suggesting that when they're laying in their bed at night, maybe they're not so happy? I, I'm suggesting that they may be so involved in their own story that they're not even seeing, that they're not even thinking about happiness anymore. They're thinking about winning. And they're thinking that winning and happiness are the same. So, what I'm saying is that all that does is set them up to constantly having to be competing and winning. And eventually, that gets tiring. Eventually, that's not happiness either. I'm the richest man in the world, and it's like, so what? I won. So what? What did you win? Well, I can do anything I want. So what do you want? Well, I want to win. Well, you did. What do you want now that you've won? To win again. But there's nothing else to win. Who are you then is the question everybody runs from. Thinking, I'd figure that out when I have enough money. I'll figure that out when I have the right woman. I'll figure that out when I have this. I'll figure out who I am after I get what I think it is I want. But what I want is what I've been told I want, not what I really want. So when I chase what I don't really want, just to show you I can get it, nah, 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 and then I realize I don't really want it, I feel empty. And then I go, well, what am I chasing? Who, what do I want? And that's the question that involves my happiness. And it can't be outside of me. Because then my happiness is at your whim. You like me, I'm happy. You dislike me, I'm sad. You give me uh, praise and I'm happy and you criticize me and I'm destroyed. I can't live like that because there are too many of you out there and only one of me. And there's like a thousand people who have an opinion on me on any given moment that I'm aware of and probably a million more that I don't. I can't live and die on those. I'd be living and dying a thousand times a day. Do you think Donald Trump's happy? Oh, no. Oh, gosh. He's the most hollow man I've ever seen. Oh, hollow, absolutely. But, but is he happy in his hollowness? There's, 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 there's no hollow empty, happiness in hollow. There's just an echo chamber in there of, ah, get me out of here. I can't stop myself. 
I can't stop myself from lying. And if you believe me, I think you're a fool. And if you don't believe me, I think you're out to get me. I've got a perfect, perfect neurosis going on here. I'm trapped. We saw it. Some of us did. Still went down that road because that's how upset we are with things in general. Well, we see what happens. We've seen, we see clearly that these people do not have the America in mind that good people have in mind. Is ignorance bliss? Is ignorance happy? No. Ignorance is terrified because it knows how stupid it is. Ignorance is terrified of everything. Doesn't know anything. Everything's a threat. I know I'm stupid. I know I'm limited. I know somebody's out there smarter than me. I live in terror. But I tell myself, at least I'm better than you. So I'm blissful about that. Seriously. It's a tough topic, happiness, because we did put it in... uh, and I've mentioned this in some of the writings I've done. Uh, in, in we use the word pursuit in the Constitution, right? And I thought, geez, what an unfortunate choice of words because it set up the big chase. Because it set up the image yeah, you have that, to chase it. Yeah. that our happiness is out there, and we have the right to pursue it. Whereas our happiness is an inside job, and the pursuit is an internal journey towards our centered, authentic self. Well, I'll tell you the other thing that I think we got wrong in those same regards and in that same document is talking about the individual and the pursuit of happiness. Because I don't think it is just an individual thing. I believe that Part of our happiness comes from being a part of a well-functioning society or community. And I think society, I think we have let in the U.S., which, by the way, has never once ranked in the top 10 on the happy, the world happiness meter. Typically, it's a Nordic country that is uh, up near the top of those lists. But I think we have let our government and our country slash society off the hook by saying that happiness is an individual pursuit. I, I think, and you look at what other countries have have done uh, in terms of putting well-being programs in place. Some have even appointed a minister of happiness. Now, that may be going too far in the other direction. But I believe that there is a societal component to all of this. And it is not something that uh, somebody, it's not something that somebody has to learn. I think it's something that somebody has to Except somebody has to develop within them. And, and a lot of it, Charlie, gets back to how you define it. You know, you define it about being true to yourself. Well, you know, that is about 
living up to the values that you prioritize. And so and I'm going to, after the podcast, I'm going to play something for you if you have an extra seven minutes, because I think it is a fascinating piece of writing. So much of what we are feeling as a nation right now in the U.S. is this despondency over a daily assault on our sense of what is fair, what is good, what is, you know, best for the majority of people. And so in that sense, uh, if your country is not showing the values that you prioritize, then you, know, you may still find a way to be true to yourself, but you feel like you're on an island and you're surrounded by sharks. Well, that was an interesting image, um, except for myself. When I get true to myself, the very first thing I uh, discover is that I need other people. When I'm really honest and true to myself. Yes, yeah. So that is a natural extension then of the initial realization of self. Self needs others. Yeah, I would agree. And I didn't mean to forsake that because any anything you read about happiness will tell you that, you know, one of the foundational bedrocks of, of happiness is those connections, connections right. to others. Right. But when I emphasize self needs others, that goes uh, completely contrary to the great American myth of self-reliance and self-sufficiency and pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, a self-made person, what, call it what you will. It's, it's a fiction. It doesn't exist. Nobody does anything by themselves. Nobody. It's, you are supported in your storytelling. I am supported in my attempts to find whatever I'm looking for. Uh, caring, how to care in this world more effectively. Um, all of this I am supported in by decent, good, well-intended people who are also seeking to connect and to grow and to be real and to be honest and to stop the nonsense because we can see clearly now. Good people always extend the benefit of the doubt, but there is no doubt now that the people who are doing what they're doing do not have goodness as their aim, do not have our benefit as their, the, our collective benefit as their aim. Their aim is to stay and impose a world order that never existed to begin with. And they have operated the levers of our institutions in such a way as to tumble them in their direction, in their favor, as a minority. Yep. And we see that as an affront to who and how we thought we were as a nation. And we're startled. We're startled at how... I mean, the very first thing anybody who's ever been fooled by someone says is, I just never even thought they'd think like that, or they'd do such a uh, thing. We should know better. Shame on us. 
we trusted them. We, we they, what they just bold-faced lied to us, mother. Yep. And they did. 34%. And they did bold-faced bold, yeah. lie again and again and again and again. So much so that you want to turn it off and say, well, one of them's lying. I can't tell who. Well, look to your heart. And ask yourself, who's forthcoming and who's not? Who's hiding and running and who's not? Who's seeking the truth and who is avoiding it as fast as they can? That's the one you should be not listening to anymore. You've been fooled. Now, you're not a fool. Just couldn't imagine that somebody would do that. But they did. And they still are doing it. That is an affront to us as Americans. We are smarter and better than that. So let's do better together. Let's let's say enough. Not with violence, but with resolve. Enough. Let's hold people accountable. Let's, let's see the truth come out. And if it's ugly, let's deal with it. Because we're better than that. And they would have you believe we're all like that. And we're not. All right, I'm not feeling so happy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, back... Back to I'm very happy about that. <laughs> back to happiness for a second. <laughs> is <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> is happiness more important or is being content more important? I think being content is greatly overrated. I think being content is uh, a way of denying the ever-present nature of change. The minute I am content is the minute I want to keep things right where they are. And that's, that's never going to happen. We're changing even as we're speaking. We're uh, talking and the conversation is evolving. And Yes, but... So you said something before we started recording today. You said something to me, and I'm not going to remember it word for word, Charlie, but you said about the place that I'm at in my life and that I can now comfortably settle in to new things and growth. Mm-hmm. Can, that to me is contentment. That is not feeling a pressure mm-hmm. to do something, but to be at a point in life where things are good mm-hmm. and now I can fully embrace that growth and those new things that are coming my way every day. And it's going to make you very uncomfortable and unsettled from one morning to one afternoon, life happens. So you can be content in your ability to adapt and respond and, and react uh, 
in a loving and a more informed way than you've ever done before, and you're content with your growth, but I'm not content with where I've arrived. I'm not content with my level of awareness as it is currently. I want it to continue to expand. I want to be more open and more inclusive and more awake to you and to everyone else that I'm encountering. So my contentness is in the process. When I've said that you have reached a new realm of uh, readiness, it's because you have leveled the things that were blocking you. So you are free to respond in more loving, attuned ways to your truer nature than you've ever been before. And that feels like happiness. That feels like freedom. That feels like joy. That feels like, oh, I could be content doing this for the rest of my life. And you will. But in the moment of being fulfilled, you can feel stretched. You can feel squeezed. You can feel ouched. You can feel, hey, there's lots about life that isn't. Yeah, it's still gonna it's still gonna beat you up a little it's bit. It's gonna knock but, you about. Yeah, but so here's the thing. I am concerned that when we talk about happiness, we talk about it as something that you can just go get. If you work hard enough at it, you can just go get it. And what I am experiencing in my later years is that I have reached a state of contentment where I don't need a new car. I don't need a bigger house. I, I have reached a state of contentment. And so rather than feeling a need to go find happiness, I now feel a peace that happiness can find me. Does that make any sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. But you're comparing material things with your internal intangibles. Well, but, but see, that's my point, is I think that when we talk about happiness, we so often talk about it as something that we have to acquire. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that is material possession. Sometimes it's a position at work. Sometimes, And if we were to focus perhaps on the being content and letting happiness find you. I'm just wondering if, if that would be a better approach to how we talk about happiness. Well, it certainly would be a shift and it would be helpful to shift because the external pursuit of material accomplishments and or achievements, awards, recognitions, accolades, call them what you will, are still uh, out there and subject to somebody else's uh, control, not mine. I have to go get it. And anytime I'm trying to go get something, I am suffering because I feel like I'm not, I don't have the agency that I, I deserve. I'm not master of my own happiness. It, it's out there somewhere. When I have realized that my contentment involved with my content, who I am, when I am content with that, when I'm accurate in how I'm portraying myself to the world, 
my happiness is automatic. My happiness is guaranteed. My growth is going to be evident because I'm still growing, but I'm content in the process of opening up, of risking. I call it daring to care. I'm content knowing that I will take a buffeting when I do the next right thing and everybody looks at me like, who do, who do you think you are? Just me being me. And I'm content with that. See, if I don't take that as like a, an indictment, I just take it as, who do you think you are? Like a question. And I say, I'm just being me. I'm not unhappy. But if I think you have a better view on me and I'm insecure about what I'm doing, I, I adjust right away and go, oh, did I do that wrong? Oh, did, should I, should I have not? Should, well, but if I'm content with being myself and that's who I am, good. Now, if I have a core belief that somehow condemns you, somehow judges you, somehow mm -hmm. does harm to you internally, like I have judged you, condemned you, and, and, and smile at you like bless your heart. Yep. But inside I'm thinking, you pagan, you're going to hell. I have violated the spirit of love. I have violated my true nature. And I think I've gotten away with it because I've been real polite and surfacey smooth, but I ain't gotten away with nothing. I just assassinated you in my heart. Now, it says somewhere, judge lest thou shalt be judged. And it also says, love as you would like to love. So somewhere in there, there's a disconnect because I don't get to judge you the way that I judge you and still want you to love me the way I need to be loved. Right. That don't flush. Sorry, you can edit that if you need to. <laughs> but that's an old Southern saying. Uh, they used to say that dog won't hunt. Yeah. Same, same. It's like everybody knows you can't do that. That's not right. That's not true. That's not honest. That's not really you. You know that's not right. And we know that ain't right. So that's what I mean about getting honest. When two honest people like say, hey, really? You think that you're more equal than somebody else just because of your gender or your color? That makes you more equal or chosen or special or better? What, what book, what teaching did you get that from? Because I never read that from anybody who had love in their hearts. I won't tell you what book came to mind when you asked me that question. Yeah. Um, so, Charlie, what do you do to embrace happiness? You've talked about... I hug you. <laughs> <laughs> I hug my wife. I pet my cat. I hug a tree. I smile at a cloud. How do I embrace happiness? Every moment. Every moment. I'm not in pain. Nobody's holding a gun to my head. I'm okay. When you were describing content before, I thought what you were really trying to point me towards was that you knew the word and the meaning of the word enough. See, most people don't know what enough is. If a little bit is good, more is better. And if that more was better, guess what's better still? So I push it to the point where if I had any more of this, I'd puke. 
and I can't have any more of this. I have to more of something else. So I'm just looking for more, constantly looking for more because I'm assuming more is better, but it's not. It's just more. So that pursuit of happiness is, is like chasing a desert mirage. So it's not, are you content enough? It's, are you content with enough? Yes. And do you have the content? Are you content with your content? <laughs> I like that. Because that's where it all begins. How can I be content and trust you and do something good with you when I can't trust myself to do anything good with me? So a lot of the quote unquote happiest people that I know uh, seem to have a positive outlook on life. So is that coincidence or correlation? Well, if circumstances are neutral, and they are, I mean, it rained. Now, if I wanted to have a picnic on the day it rained, I could go, oh, man, that's... It always rains on picnic day. Right, <laughs> right. Whatever it is that I want to do, it always does the opposite of what makes it easy for me. So I can approach the circumstances of life as um, something that's happening to me or is arranged against me. Or I can look at the circumstances of life as neutral and say, I'd like to do with this. Now, we call that being positive, and I call it being realistic. Shit happened. It's there on the floor. Do I sit there and analyze it and beat the dog or beat the kid or beat whatever? Or, or do I just go, okay, that may leave a stain. Let's see what we can do. Let's clean it up and see where we go from here. So if I have said, as you've admitted, that human beings do make mistakes, with best intentions sometimes we can be misled or we can be honestly mistaken. That doesn't make us bad people. What makes us suffer is when we do make a mistake and we don't want to admit it to ourselves, first of all, because we think it makes us less lovable, I, I suspect, or, or less of something. It makes us less in, in our minds. And we can't be less because we want to be at least equal. Yep. Secretly, we harbor, we'd like to be a little more equal. We call that better, but we can't say that. So we're just a little more equal than the other guy or girl or whatever. I don't know why we need to do that. Why can't I be as equal and then just call it equal? So your rights are as equal as mine. Your feelings are as important as mine. Your goals and ambitions are important as mine. I won't impose mine on you. You don't impose yours on me. Can we cooperate? What are you trying to do and what am I trying to do? And, and do we line up? If we don't line up, go do it with somebody who's lining up with you. And as long as your lineup doesn't affect our lineup, line up. Do your thing. Have your game. Play your game. But when your game starts to tell my game what to do, that's, that's not equal. I'm not coming over there telling you how to run your game. Just, you know, if I ask you, hey, what kind of game you running? And you tell me, and I go, whoa, okay, I don't want to play that game. I'm not trying to say don't do it. I'm trying to right. say it's not for me. Yeah. I don't want to live that way. I don't want to feel that way. And it doesn't look like you're particularly happy. 
I don't think Rand Paul's happy. I don't think Ted Cruz's happy. I don't think Mark Meadows is happy. I don't think Donald Trump is happy. I don't think Eric Trump is happy. I don't think any of those motherfuckers are happy. No matter what they're telling you. They're not looking for happiness. They're looking to get out of Dodge with their skin on. We've got to ask ourselves, we can let them have their skin, but they can't have their jobs. All right. Well, this headband is getting tight. My brain is being squeezed. So we're going to call it an end right there. As always, good conversation. I did not want to steal your joy, your happiness. You didn't. didn't. You couldn't. You couldn't. It's mine. I didn't give it to you. You didn't. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Charlie. Once again, great conversation. We are in heady times, my friend. We are in heady times. One of the things that uh, occurred to me uh, recently is that people who are confused about where things have gotten in our country, I want you to know that I think it's okay that it's come to this point. Because when we see clearly how they want to take us or where they want to take us. And we see clearly that we don't want to go there. All we have to do is just act in concert together. Just link arms, link hands, join causes, stop fighting. This is bigger than all of us and we need to act that way. In order to form a more perfect union, we have to unite. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wouldn't want to live in any other time. If you enjoyed today's conversation, then please clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. Or clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do. Because I'm happy. So if this podcast made you feel the same way, then pull out your phone and rate follow or subscribe, and review The Thinking Knot. You can find more of Charles's writings on his blog at owningourselves.com and more of my work at liveforwonder.com. Thanks for listening. We hope your journey is filled with wonder and that today brings a happy tune into your heart. Be good to each other.